Welcome to Distant Voices, a podcast presented by Willamette Week. Join us every Wednesday to hear members of the Willamette Week newsroom talk to Oregonians about how they are overcoming the pandemic. Come back on Saturdays to listen to Dive, a podcast hosted by me, Hank Sanders, that takes a look at the Willamette Week cover story and includes interviews with the biggest names in the state. You can enjoy more episodes of these podcasts on this channel and learn more about our work at wweek.com. Enjoy this episode of Distant Voices. Hi, I'm Sophie Peel. I'm a reporter with Willamette Week. Um, today we are being joined by Dr. Paul Loiketh. Uh, he's the director of the Climate Science Lab and also an associate professor um, at Portland State, right? Portland State um, in the geology department and an expert on extreme weather, which we as Portlanders are finding ourselves um, amidst right now. Uh, so if you could just begin by sort of giving us like the fifth grade explanation of what the heck is going on right now this weekend. Yeah, so we have a really, really remarkably unusual weather pattern that's driving this heat. Um, the, the overall driver is a broad area of high pressure in the atmosphere. So what's happening is warm air from lower latitudes has surged northward over the Pacific Northwest. We refer to that meteorologically as an atmospheric ridge of high pressure. But then other interesting things happen underneath an atmospheric ridge, and they're just happening to a really extreme degree over the, the Pacific Northwest. So the ridge itself is centered over British Columbia. That's where kind of the center of this, this area of, of um, high pressure and extreme heat in the atmosphere is. But under an atmospheric ridge, other things happen to make the air even hotter. So you already have hot air from a hotter place to our south, displaced northward. Air tends to sink under an atmospheric ridge of high pressure. And as air sinks, it compresses and it warms. So that adds extra heat to this overall hot air mass. And then we've had a few, um, almost like, it's almost like a perfect storm, a perfect combination of elements to increase temperatures even further across um, the Portland area, today across the Seattle area as well, and other parts of the Pacific Northwest. So on top of having this exceptionally hot air mass overhead, We've had um, a, a couple of periods where the wind came from the interior. So one thing that that does is it prevents any of the cooling effects from the Pacific Ocean from reaching us. But if you look to our east, we have mountains. And so that air has been descending down the slopes of the Cascades towards Portland. And when air sinks, it warms. So we have extra warming from this wind coming off the Cascades. The, the marine layer of cool air over the Pacific Ocean has been completely suppressed by all the sinking air under this giant high pressure system um, overhead. And so we don't have the cooling influence of the Pacific Ocean. We have an extremely hot air mass. And then we have local wind patterns that are adding even additional heat on top of that, which are conspiring to make this um, a truly remarkable and almost mm -hmm. unbelievable heat event across the region. And, and how much does climate change have to do with this? Like very little or quite a bit? So it's hard to say in a specific way without further analysis. We know that climate change is making, every, everything is getting warmer. So the background state is warming. Our cooler events are not as cool as they used to be and our hot events are hotter than they used to be. So at the simplest level, we can say with a lot of confidence that um, an event like this, this event would be less likely to be this hot decades ago because we have this added warming. Um, the question of what is the contribution of climate change to the overall magnitude of the event or the occurrence of the event um, is something that, that can be answered through um, some, some new research techniques. 
Um, so without doing that additional analysis, it's hard to say with specificity, mm -hmm. um, but we can do just kind of a general, um, kind of just a, a really general high level approximation. Um, summers in Portland are a couple of degrees warmer than they were in the earlier part of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, you can add that mean warming onto the already extreme heat. So it, it would likely have been an extremely hot event because of those weather conditions I just described anyway, but um, with added background warming, the magnitude of the heat is likely to be higher. So this was basically, I mean, it seems like what you're saying is this was just a really unfortunate and kind of untimely confluence of a bunch of different factors. Like statistically speaking, how how unlikely was this to happen? And I mean, is it does it happen every 50 years, every 100 years, every 1,000, or is just this like completely unheard of? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost diabolical and it's like <laughs> the makeup of the system. I mean, if meteorologists sat around and talked about how could we make, you know, just, just sort of, what could we come up with, which would be the, the most extreme heat event in Portland? You know, these are all the ingredients we would put in. And then we'd probably say, well, what are the chances of all those coming together? So it's extremely unlikely. There have been other really extreme heat events in Portland. Portland is prone to really bad heat waves. And we've seen them in the past, not to this magnitude, at least in the recorded history, which goes back into um, the 1800s. But in the late 1800s, there's a heat wave across Oregon that was really, really extreme. Um, in 1981, Portland hit 107. Um, it's Portland hit 107 a couple times before that as well. There was an event in late July in 1965 that had some similar characteristics to this one, but still didn't reach the magnitude of extreme heat that we've experienced with this particular event. So, oh, actually, I should mention 2009 was another year with really extreme heat, and the, the most severe aspect of that was to our north. So these do occur. There's not really a regular occurrence, but right. if you average it out, you know, it's it's years to decades that we see a really, really bad heat event like this. Um, when you look at the historical record, you know, weather weather's very variable. And if you have a long enough time record, it's kind of amazing what weather's capable mm -hmm. of producing. And so if we went back hundreds of years, maybe we'd see something else that we don't have in the recorded record. Um, so it's hard to say exactly if there is an analog for this in the historical past but this level of severity this level of persistence and all of these ingredients coming together really is you know pretty unprecedented in um in our our record of observation over the pacific northwest although again there are other historical extreme events that that were pretty remarkable themselves but this just kind of pushes some you know pushes those aside with the magnitude yeah was this predictable like did you know this was gonna like did you i mean even if you knew that it was going to be like 113 it was going to reach that today like did you know about all these factors months ago or weeks ago so so weather forecasts um are are pretty are pretty accurate most of the time about a week in advance and there's some there's some skill uh, beyond a week week and a half or so um so that's kind of the lead time that we have on a weather event this you know this and this is just a discrete weather event in that sense um the weather forecasts for this event have been exceptionally good in fact that's one of the, the most you know, really interesting thing to me as a meteorologist about this it was not this weekend we just had, but the previous weekend I started being concerned about this, about the um, likelihood of this event. And I think like most meteorologists looking at the forecasts that we get from computer models, seeing temperatures in the 110 to 115 range 
it was really hard to believe. It seemed like there must be something, something must change. The model, the, the numerical models we're using, that just doesn't seem realistic. Yeah. And it turns out that's what happened. And the models um, that meteorologists use and weather forecasts use captured this with really great skill. And the persistence of that high skill across the week leading up to this was quite good. So in a weather forecasting sense, we had pretty good accurate lead time. Um, beyond, before that, it's, there, there's really, it's forecasting skill for weather events is, is very difficult to do. Um, so, you know, a month ago, there's really no way to know that something yeah. of this magnitude is going to occur at this time. Yeah. And you know, in your particular ecosystem of meteorologists and climate change experts, like, is this just blowing people's minds? Like, is this a big thing right now? Or is there like, you know, dialogue going on between people? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, just texting with colleagues constantly. And um, um, yeah, it's, it's truly amazing. And I, I think we, we continue to just be amazed when we look at the weather map and we see the numbers because they're yeah. so outside the range of what we've, what we've observed before. Hey folks, I hope you enjoyed that first interview. This second interview on Distant Voices is between Willamette Week reporter Mary O'Hara, and this was done back in 2013. Uh, and this interview is with uh, John McAfee. John McAfee has been in the news a lot recently because he recently died in a Spanish prison. Uh, it was declared a suicide, or at least all signs point to it being a suicide. And he is a millionaire who made a fortune off of a uh, antivirus software uh, company that he started early on. And, uh, and he spent time in prison for tax evasion, and he's been in the limelight a lot. Very interesting career. This interview doesn't have like the best audio quality or anything like that, but we thought that it would be something that you really wanted to listen to because when we posted this on YouTube uh, as a refresher on our interview with John McAfee um, back in the day, it got a lot of play, and people really listened to it on YouTube and, and Distant Voices online. So we thought that it would interest you to hear it on this platform as well. So please enjoy this interview. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday. What you're doing in Portland. How long have you been here, first of all? Four days. Four days. And you're going to be here I, for 18 months. Right. <laughs> okay. I like the weather. I don't like sun. sun, sun <laughs> you know, that was my question. Really? I mean, here really? you were in this tropical place for years. Why well, then, Portland? I've had enough sun for a while. I had five years of everyday sunny. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's time for a complete extreme shift. Rain. rain is good, it cleans the streets. It makes for the ambiance a little bit darker. I'm in a darker mood these days, and mm -hmm. I don't know why. Uh, so this is perfect. What made you decide to come to Portland? Chad and the well, crowd? Chad was here. Uh, it was a good enough reason. Uh, basically, when I was in uh, prison in Guatemala, we were on the phone and I said, you know, um, the thing I would like more than anything right now is to have a cup of coffee with you. 
so I came here to yep. get that company. Yep, we were in Today. Belize. Well, yeah, amidst the craziness in Belize, <laughs> I had told John, you know, someday we will have a cup of coffee and just laugh about all this, you know, because there was a lot of crazy madness going on. So you got some of the craziness. I got a little bit sure. of the craziness. But Is this I, the first time you guys have seen each other since you got to Portland? Since Belize, no, yeah. No, 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 no not right now. First day I was here, I saw Oh, okay. He's been okay. here a couple of days. So. Great, great. Yeah. So you're looking for a place. You've looked at a couple of condos, houses. The condos are too small. Uh, I haven't looked at any houses. I'm looking one tomorrow up on Montgomery Street, the six bedroom place. And what are you going to do in Portland with with your time? I have no clue. I don't make plans. There's definitely more strip clubs here than any other city in the U.S. Believe it or not, (laughs) the strip club I was in yesterday was the first strip club I've been in. Mm-hmm. That, that, was, that was Mary's Club. That was yeah, Mary's that was club. just for a fun shoot, an idea. So and it, it, was was idea. For, it was their idea. For the, it was not for the purpose of let's go to a strip club. It was just for yeah. let's go take a fun picture. Can you tell me how you ended up at Mary's of all places? They chose it. They chose it. They I ran them. down the street. And it was London, the, the Sunday London Times, the largest newspaper in England. Mm-hmm. They were interviewing you yesterday. They were interviewing you yesterday. Now, let me tell you what's happening. So the, the press has consistently been very skeptical. Mm-hmm. I do that, but what I do is I, I choose my press carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I let I let the press do what they want. I refuse to talk to the ones I don't want to talk to until later. And then, meanwhile, I've been talking to three people: the Vice Magazine, Dateline, and the Times of London. And the Willamette Week. Pardon? Yeah, but I'm going to tell you what you Willamette Week. Oh, great. Thanks. So now, because I have talked to other press, but I just I just tell them things which make them go, he's a madman, this is all this is all bogus. Well, we think Portland is important. I'm we not, think you moving no, no, to Portland good, is I'm important. Saying, what I, said, I don't mean not important story. Mm-hmm. You don't have an important story. But nothing important about my, my plan. So no. Uh, and I'm, I'm divulging this to you only because it's coming out soon. So... Uh, on Sunday, the the time the, the, the London Times speaks will, will come out. Now, that's an important newspaper. Mm-hmm. Not just because exactly. it's the largest in England, it's because it's read by everybody in Central America, South America, and All the, people, uh, the people that I'm interested in here in America also read that newspaper. So, um, so that's important to me. So to them, I gave a real interview. And pulled no punches and answered every single question that they asked, you know, openly without any diversions or you know, I can I cannot answer your question, you won't even know it because I will start answering it and I'll start talking about you. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> um, who, are, who are the people that you want to be reading the interview that you mentioned? Oh, the people I want to be reading are the press. Mm-hmm. The other press. In other words, this this press is not for the consumption of the public. This is for the consumption of the other press. Mm-hmm. People are waiting for the Vice piece to come out only because they were with me throughout the escape. Yeah. Uh, the, the London Times, because they know for a fact that if, that if they're printing it, there must be some substance to it. Yeah. Dateline, only because it, it's, it's one of the uh, uh, more watched, um, emotionally charged uh, shows you know, on television. So... Uh, and I chose Keith Morrison to, you know, to, to do the talk with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the producer, um, a, a charming uh, woman from the South, and I was raised in the South. So now they're not going to say pleasant things about me, perhaps I don't really care. But what they will do is present factual information, which will suddenly make people have to rethink what they've already printed. Mm-hmm. Because if you've printed something, it's totally factually wrong. 
then you have an obligation to do one of two things, bury it with another story which is more important, or go back and revisit it. What do you what do you know about the city so far? Nothing. Is there anything that appeals to you? No. <laughs> you know, people people think it matters. You think it matters where you live. It doesn't. Where you live, who cares if you're in Belize or the south of France or the North Pole? There is no mm-hmm. difference. The only difference is you structure your life to, to fit in with your environment. The, less the rest that of your I life knew, doesn't change. The less that I knew you were in Miami, though. I mean, how did you... You know, I was in Miami because that's where they deported me. Right, here. right. Were there I multiple stops along the way, or did you no, just come straight, straight to Portland? Guatemala to Miami. And then straight to Portland? No, no, I stayed in Miami for about a week because I hadn't been in America, and there were sushi restaurants there. Mm-hmm. I hadn't had sushi in five years. Give me a break. You know, I'm in Miami. You know, <laughs> so, so I had sushi for breakfast, lunch, and dinner until I go, you know, I've had enough sushi. Let's move on. And now you've been to a strip club for the first time in 30 years. 30 years. What did you think of it? I was happy to get out of it, quite frankly. Well, Mary's Club, I don't know if you know all the details, but it's a local historic institution. It is. Um, it's been there since the 1940s or something. It's family-owned. It's just an odd place, and everybody loves it. Um, well, so know, it's, I, I don't it's know kind much of your about perfect it. The same there as they did in any strip club. <laughs> minute, so, <laughs> um, that's all I could say. But, but I'm, you know, I, I won't be going back. Um, there's nothing wrong with Mary's. Yeah. You know, it's just... It's not your thing. Nothing to do there. Yeah. You know, what do you do in a strip club? You can't, you know, you can't get on the internet. It's too noisy. There's so much distraction. Um, you can't have a conversation. Mm-hmm. The music is too loud. Um, you can't do much work. So I don't see the point. What? Days in here, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I've been posting the most revealing, I mean, stuff that would probably get me arrested uh, to all 8,000 of these people. Why would you do that if it could possibly risk your arrest? Because no one, because no what Joel Johnson did is it was unique in the history of this board. No one's ever taken someone else's work and taken it outside the board before. But, I mean, you said earlier to me that your life is an open book. And well, it is, and it's an open book to 8,000 people at least. But, Why, but, you know, you're... for example, if you're sleeping with your girlfriend's husband, you want everybody to know maybe except your girlfriend. I mean, it's not that, it's not that you know, you're, you're ashamed of it. It's just... Why would you risk a relationship with your girlfriend? But you just said that you were posting things that could get you arrested. Well, I'm not really. I, can, I don't know. Maybe arrested in Belize. Maybe not. But certain things that, that the average person would not even tell their closest friend. And I told 8,000 people. Speaking right. of arrested in Belize, they've never charged you with anything, Of course right? not. I've never been charged with anything ever anywhere. I don't do things that are illegal. Mm-hmm. It, it's too much trouble. And so. why were you deported from Guatemala then? Because you were wanted by... Well, because I got into the country illegally. How was I going to get in legally? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, just for entering illegally. It was just, just for, for entering immigration illegal. stuff. I mean, I knew that I was doing something illegal there, but it's not like robbing a bank. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, the secret is you, you have to abandon every preconception about money. You have to abandon the idea that it's something you have to get. And money wants to go in your pocket. I have not abandoned that idea. It wants to be pocket. The problem is, the problem is, you want to own it, or you can't. Money now, wants to flow John, through you. John, if you're an open John, conduit, yes. Just, just perspective from my perspective. Yes. Now, I mentioned this sentiment to my wife, and she said that rich dudes always say that. Always say what? Always say that you know money is not. Uh, because we have experience. I know, but from anyone else's perspective, that is completely like. 
That's true. You never say it. Most of my Not life just, I've worked I'm in minimum saying, wage jobs and money wasn't Because what you want to do with the money that you get <laughs> is cling on to it and own it. Money doesn't want that. Money is the free flow movement of energy called capital. All right? And if you, if you are just a vacant hole, money will flow through you like crazy. But you made but your money. To where it's you going, made your money working very hard, inventing software and engineering things. Do you think this is work? Do you think no? This is not. This is what I do. This is living. Mm-hmm. I'm just living, and I'm I'm an open hole, and, and money will flow through me. I promise you, it always has. And and when I lose it, I don't. That's fine. That's money's business, not my business. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's not up to me to to see where money goes. What would you do if suddenly you were destitute and penniless and homeless? I would make sure that I was even freer, you know, okay? I don't care if I get even more destitute, then money's going to flow through me. All right? This is how it works. I mean, it's not some mystical thing. Seriously, what do you think? It's something that everybody wants. There's a collection of it that's constantly moving. Do you think money is static? No. It's moving from this business to that business every day. What, what do we work on? The accounting. What is accounting? Accounting is the movement of money. Tell me that all it is is something moving more and more rapidly. So if you allow it to move more rapidly through you, it will move more rapidly through you. You will become the conduit for all the money in the world. It's the, if you stop thinking, it's like sex. Do you think sex is hard to get? And yet everybody's wanting sex. They look at ads in the back of your paper. What nonsense. What nonsense. Everybody here wants to get laid. Right? It depends on the, the person. No, it doesn't depend on the person. How disgustingly ugly they might be. Or... Well, then that's, that's the problem with your judgment, okay? I found that the more ugly the woman, the better the sex. And stuff. So this is the truth. I'm sorry, but it's absolutely true. And so, no, really, the best sex in the world is the librarian who hasn't had a date in 10 years, mm-hmm. but has read all the love books and all the books on the how-to. And they're just waiting for someone to recognize them as this luscious, sensual being. Well, you, if you do, you're in for a weekend of your life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Distant Voices. Thank you to everyone who was a part of this episode, including the guests and Willamette Week Newsroom. Also, special thank you to AmpMusic.co and Heather Witty for the music that you heard on this podcast. For more great content, be sure to follow Dive by Willamette Week on all podcast platforms. Join us Saturdays for our Dive podcast show and follow along with Willamette Week's content at WWeek.com and on all social platforms. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.